Hello, my name is David Coletta, and I'm the senior leader at Mission Community Church. Before you begin watching the Sermon of the Week, allow me to pray that you might encounter God right there where you are. Father, I ask that your spirit will be present right where people are watching this video. May they be receptive to the voice of your spirit as they watch in Jesus' name, amen. From all of us at MCC, may God bless you as you watch this week's message.
those of you who have maybe flown recently, let me ask you a question. What is the general um, response of people when the flight attendant or the captain will say, please pay attention to the flight attendant as they come about the cabin and give you the procedures, the security process of the plane. What is your response usually? I've heard it a billion times. Don't bother me. You're, you're telling me nothing that I have not heard yet. But suppose that the captain would come on and he would say, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain. We are experiencing unexpected turbulence. And one of our engines is reporting complete failure. In the middle of the plane, of the flight, we are going to attempt an emergency landing. Please pay attention to the flight attendants as they come and give you the security procedures of this Boeing 767. What would your response be then? Would you continue reading your book? Watching a movie? Would you do any of that? I don't think so. You probably pay very close attention. Now, I truly believe that when it comes to the major holidays on our Christian calendar, things such as Christmas and Easter, we have probably taken for granted the meaning and the importance of these incredible holidays. And if we're honest with each other, we have turned the sacred into mundane because really what we, don't, what we focus upon is not so much the meaning of what we are celebrating, but all of the other things. You know, for some of us, our knowledge of Easter stops at the Easter bunny, the chocolate eggs. I mean, who doesn't like a good runny chocolate egg? Or my favorite, the lint carrots chocolates. I mean, they're delicious. But there's a lot more to that. Now, in 325 A.D., the Council of Nicaea decreed that Easter will be celebrated on the first Sunday following the full moon after the spring equinox, which is March 21st. And so Easter can happen any day between March 22nd and April 25th. Great. So what? It's just another holiday in so many ways. Now, celebrating Easter, friends, is way more than just understanding or the, the, the uh, pronouncement from the Council of Nicaea about uh, when Easter should be celebrated. It is the centerpiece of Christianity. I'm going to say it again. Easter is the centerpiece peace of Christianity. Why is that? Well, listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 14 to 19. It says, and if Christ has not been raised, 
then all of our preaching is useless. Man, that's pretty straight, straight up language. Our preaching is useless. More than that. Your faith is useless. Think about it for a moment. And we, apostles, would all be lying before God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, again, he's repeating it, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ had not been raised, then your faith, once again, is useless. And it goes a little bit deeper here. It says, and you are still guilty of your sins. You're not off the hook just because you might come across the point that the resurrection of, the, uh, of Christ is not really true. You're still not off the hook. You're still guilty of your sin. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. Wow. And if our hope is in Christ, or if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in this world. Dear God, do you understand the importance the implications, the seriousness, the validity of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is absolutely critical to Christianity, absolutely critical to our lives, to you and me. It is critical. Now, Luke chapter 24. I want you to turn your Bibles to Luke 24. If you don't have your Bible, you have your you version e-bible you can turn to that or you can look it up on the screen for those who online who are watching turn to math luke chapter 24 together let's read it from verse 1 and on the first day of the week very early in the morning the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Aren't you glad that the stone was rolled away? The stone that kept Jesus in that tomb was rolled away. You know what? You may have situations in your life, issues that you're facing in your life, disappointments in your life that feel like a huge stone is literally rolled into and, and paralyzing you, impeding you from getting out and, and, and experiencing freedom. You know what? Jesus can roll that stone away today. He can roll that stone away. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Wow. While they were there wondering about this, suddenly two men, listen to this, clothed in gleaming, they, in clothes, sorry, that gleamed like lightning. I can barely see you with just these lights that are shining in my eyes. Imagine what they would have seen. Like lightning. Think about lightning strike. And it's very hard to take a look at that because of the power that you see in that light. 
And they stood before them, beside them, sorry. In their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among the dead? You know, I believe that today we still kind of do that. We look for the living among the dead. You know what, what's dead? Religion is dead. You know what's dead? Traditions are dead. You know what's dead? Doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again and thinking that that is what's pleasing God, but that is not what pleases God. Why are you looking for the living among the dead. Why do we look for God in a religious exercise that is meaningless at times, totally pointless unless our hearts are completely in it? He is not here, they said. He has risen. Remember. I love that word. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day he would be, he would be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Then they remembered his words. I believe that the apostles, the disciples, that heard the words of Jesus had taken him for granted. They had not considered the seriousness and the implication and the importance of the very fact that Jesus self-pronounced his death. He self-prophesied his death and his resurrection. But then they understood at that moment. So as I was praying, asking the Holy Spirit what to share with you this morning, I heard the Lord say, Easter spells victory. Easter spells victory. Why is that? I, I, you know, sometimes when you, when you pray and you ask the Lord and he gives you words, you have conversations, right? I'm like, Lord, I thought that Easter was spelled E-A-S-T-E-R. Uh, you know. No, it's Victory victory we have the power of the resurrected christ living inside of us if you have accepted jesus as your personal lord and savior you have the power of those resurrected christ living inside of you living inside of me but you know what the challenge and the difficulty and the sad thing is that oftentimes we live our lives as if jesus had never taken the place our place on the cross raised from the dead still alive today because we live defeated, disappointed. We live our lives as if Christ had never been raised from the dead. But the fact of the matter today, church, is that Jesus is alive. And he is seeking a relationship with each and every one of us because his life lives, can live in us. 
I believe that what Jesus accomplished, giving us the power to live a victorious life, is valid today. Look, I don't know what your circumstances in life are. I don't know where you have come from, what you are living in your life right now, the situations that surround the, your, your life today. But I want you to know that Jesus can be your answer. Before you leave this place, your disappointments can turn into good things because Jesus will lead you out of those times. So let me establish a few things this morning. Number one, the fact that the death, the burial, and the resurrection are the evidence that Christianity is the real deal. It's the real deal. Now, there are three facts that we need to consider. Now, there's a lot of facts, okay? Like if you Google, uh, you know, uh, truth or evidence that the resurrection is real, you'll get a whole bunch of stuff. But I want to focus on three major things. First of all, the fact that no historian would dispute, even right now, the fact that Jesus lived in the first century A.D. and that he carried out a ministry, that he was crucified by death, by the Romans, right? He was crucified by, or I should say he was uh, dead by crucifixion, by the hands of the Romans. And even some very skeptical scholars would actually say that it is a fact because it is proven in history. Now, the second fact is the burial. The burial. That's where things get a little confusing. The burials, for some scholars, believe that while Jesus was condemned to death and he died, that his body was taken out of the tomb, buried somewhere in the ground, hidden from everybody else. But the fact of the matter, friends, is that that does not make any sense according to Jewish traditions. I want to show you some pictures since we have not too long ago come back from Israel. I want to show you what the place of the... This is what uh, Golgotha, the place of the skull, and you may not at first glance see it, but if you look at the next picture, I kind of drew it for you. That's the place of the skull. That, those are the two eyes. If you go back, you'll probably be able to see it now. See that? Do you see it? Jesus died at Golgotha on this mountain. Now, a lot of people say, you know, we actually sing the songs. On a hill far away stood the old rugged cross. It's actually proven that Jesus was hung on a cross on the road below, not at the top. On the road, which was a place where... There was a lot of stoning that took place. It's a quarry. And so men, that criminals, would be stoned. And crosses placed on the path would actually serve as a warning to people to say, hey, you know what? You want to mess around with the Roman Empire? That's going to be your end. In fact, as they say, the encryption on the top of the cross would not have been able, you would not have been able to read it all the way up the mountain. You would have only read it as you walked by and you saw the capital punishment right before the eyes of everyone that would, that would cross by. So Jesus died right there on a road right there and then. 
But let's go to the next. If you follow, okay, there you go. This is what is a common tomb where the body of Jesus would have been laid. You see the entrance to the tomb, and you see a little window. I'll talk about that window in a little moment. If you go into the next slide. That's when we read about Mary rushing to the tomb. She would have gone into the tomb through this entry point, And there was, that was the entry points where the mourners would come, and they would mourn, they would cry over their dead, uh, dear one in their family. If you go to the next one, you'll see the other side. On the far left side is where the body of Jesus would have been laid. On the right side, he probably would have been prepared. They, when the women, and the Bible says that, that they were going to prepare to anoint his body, they would have done it in that place and then laid his body in the tomb. Tradition, Jewish tradition, from what I understand and what was explained to us, is that the body would have been left there for a minimum of a year. And that little window on the outside is important because that little window actually was the, 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 the vehicle for the body to decompose. That air was needed for body decomposition. And then after about a year, they would take the bones and they would put them into a box called the ossuary. And they would just lay that box away. So it makes absolutely no sense from a... Strictly, strictly from a Jewish standpoint that somebody would have gone and just taken his body as some family member and made him disappear and, hung, and, and put him somewhere in the ground. No. That is what happened. Jesus went into that tomb. His body was prepared, at least so they thought that they were going to do, but something happened. Something happened. Hmm. Something happened. On the third day, the third claim is that Jesus rose from the dead. The claim that, that, that we know of, of the, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, is proven in the Bible. First of all, Jesus self-prophesied that he would be hung on a cross and he would rise, raise from the dead. And so that is the very fact that the beginning point. But there's also a scripture that I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 6. And it says this. For I passed unto you the most important points that I received. This is what Paul is sharing. That the Messiah died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. For, and he's still alive. And he was seen by Cephas, Peter. They don't mention the women here, but the women. And actually in the account of John, it says that the women, when they saw and they had the encounters with the angel of the Lord, they rushed home, freaked out. They went and speak to Peter. And then they told Peter, and then Peter and John hightailed it right to the, 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 the garden tomb and wanting to see what is going on, what's happening, what, the body of Jesus is no longer there. And so they went there, rushed in there. All of a sudden, of course, the Bible says that John, the young one, just passed Peter. He was a little faster than Peter. You know, he had the... The, 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 the jets on, and he just got there. But 
he got into the tomb and he kind of like did this. You know, he's like, I'm afraid. You know, is there a ghost or anything that's going to come and attack me? Uh, or a dead body that's just going to come like a mummy? Now, he was a little afraid. Peter kind of like moved him out of the way and just went right in. You know, there's not much to say about men with experience. Sometimes it takes a man with experience. Come on, Sam. He was seen by Cephas and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, some whom have died. When Jesus raised into heaven, he appeared, the Bible says, to 500 people as a witness that he was alive and being ascended into heaven to live forever. Guys, Jesus is alive. He is alive and he's alive today. Now, you can look at... Judaism and and some people say Abraham was a, the 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 founder of Judaism. Some others say Moses. You take Moses, Abraham, David, great biblical figures. They unfortunately died and stayed dead. If you look at all major religions today, Buddha, the key figure in Buddhism, Mohammed, the key figure in Islam, Confucius, the the key figure in Confucianism. Uh, Joseph Smith, the key figure in Mormonism. Hinduism does not have a prominent figure, but all of their leaders, they all died and stayed dead. But Jesus died and on the third day said, I'm out of here because I got a mission to accomplish. He had a mission to accomplish. And that was to give us the life that we need. Jesus is the only religious leader who died and rose again. The second point I want to make is that the resurrection gives us assurance of eternal life. Assurance of eternal life. Friends, life without Jesus is useless and worthless. Most of us in this life, we work very hard, especially in our North American culture, we're very used to working long hours, amassing fortunes, money, houses, cars, boats, all of the stuff, all of the things that we absolutely have to have be in our society, right? You know, in Luke chapter 12, there's a story of a man. When the Bible says he did all of that himself. He collected all the grain, all the harvest, all the things and got into a barn. And then he said, this is not big enough. And he built a bigger barn and he just, he built big things, you know. He's kind of like, I'm going to build a big house and I'm just going to put all my stuff in there. And everyone's going to say, wow, look at him. But that night, the Bible says that he went to sleep and God spoke to him and said, tonight your life will be required of you. Because you've done all this, and who's that for? His life was required of him. Friends, if you have not taken the step of accepting Jesus as your personal Savior, 
and making him the Lord of your life. I want you to know, as somebody who had to do it, who grew up, I grew up without really any relationship with God. My dad, my parents were not religious at all. I had to encounter Jesus for me. And you know what? Jesus is gentle. He's not going to force himself on you. He awaits for your yes. He awaits for you to give him your heart. Not only that, the Holy Spirit is gentle. He wants a relationship with us. He does not want a forced relationship for us to acknowledge him if we don't want to. His love conquers all. And so I want you to know today that you may look at your life and you might say, man, I don't deserve to accept Christ in my life. I don't deserve to have Jesus in me. You don't know all of the things that I've done. I want you to know that there's nothing that would ever hinder the love of God getting through to all those areas of your life. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what you have done. That does not disqualify you. God's love is open. His arms are wide open for you today. He is waiting for us. In Romans chapter 10, it simply says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and believe in your heart that he was was raised from the dead there it is the resurrection again then you are saved we have got to believe those very things confession with your mouth belief in the heart that he was raised and that is all that he requires of us the third thing is i want to share with you is that the resurrection provides healing and so much more in the book of isaiah in chapter 53 and verse 5 it clearly says that that he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed we are healed we are healed you say what price what price did he pay what price is he talking about that i had to that we are experiencing. Well, if you're sick in your body, because of what Jesus did, you know, the Bible says that he took 39 lashes that literally ripped the skin off of his back until you could see his ribs exposed. You say, why is it 39 and not 40 or 38 or 36? You know what Romans actually believe and it's written that they actually believed that 40 lashes would kill a man. So they stopped at 39. What does that mean? If you say, what, what, what do you mean? That's inflicting as much pain as possibly can be inflicted on a man without killing him. Jesus endured all of that pain. And today we can pray and believe by faith that God will heal any sickness and any disease in our bodies because he responds to faith. All we have to do is respond in faith, partner, excuse me, with God. Partner with God in faith and he will give us what we believe. But not just our bodies. Whatever you need for today. 
has been purchased through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Whatever you need for today, God will be able to perform it because you know what? He wasn't just a good man who took a lot of beatings. He was a man who took a lot of beatings, went on a cross, rose again, came out of that tomb. And that is the qualifier, friends. That is what makes Jesus different. The paradox is the one who dies that brings life for everyone else. He didn't stay in that tomb. He rose again. He got up. That means that you can have deliverance today. Any struggles that you're going through that you just can't seem to beat by yourself. You've tried. You've tried. You've given that a try. You've been wanting to be set free. You've been wanting to have freedom. But you know what? You just can't seem to get it done by yourself because you know what? You're just human. But I want you to know that Jesus loves you so much that he took your place, my place on the cross so that we could have life, so that we could have healing, so that we could have freedom, so that we could be set free from anything that holds us back. Let me conclude with this. His resurrection means that Jesus intercedes for us. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 34, it says, It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. I just love it that that is, is it's impermeated in everything in the Bible. It is Christ who died and furthermore, he is also risen. It's not just a death, guys. It's a resurrection. It's a resurrection. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercessions for us. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he took on his role of intercessor for you and for me. Can you imagine if you were in deep, deep trouble with the law and he owed a huge debt? Would you want to have a first-year lawyer? <laughs> Somebody, some... Some green lawyer just came out of, of uh, you know, just got the bar and passed the bar and just showing up there just because the district office assigned him to your case. Would you want him? Or would you want someone that has experience, you know? Like, I don't know, like a, a, a Robert Whitlow or Jim Buchan. I mean, like experienced lawyers. You know what I'm talking about? And you show up there and they understand the case. And then they can, they know how to defend it because they've done it many, many times in their lives. I want you to know that Jesus is our lawyer, is our advocate. And here's what happens. And we see it in the Bible, right? When, when, when Satan appeared and he started talking to God about his servant, who? Job. Have you looked at his life? Let me just, just play around with him. You know what? Job had an advocate. And God told him, yeah, go ahead. Do what you got to do, but don't touch his life. Don't touch his life. And Job proved himself to be trustworthy, honest, committed to the purposes of God. He stayed through until the end. He would not give up. 
I want you to know that today we have that same judge, that same advocate, Jesus, who stands under every accusation that we receive. When the enemy comes and he accuses, he says, oh, wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. What did you say he owes that? Okay, that's already paid for. Uh, that, that's already been paid. Next. Well, here's another one. He owes all. The, it's paid for. Next. I want you to know that every failure, every sin, every temptation, everything that you will ever go through that will bring you down to your knees because you just cannot do it, accomplish, and find the answers on your own, Jesus has already paid the price for. He has paid the price for it. He's our advocate and is interceding for us. There's a story of Arthur Wellesley. He's the first Duke of Wellington from 1769 to 1857. He was a renowned British soldier and statesman. Many events surround uh, his most famous victory uh, called the Waterloo Campaign in which he, Napoleon was defeated actually. Uh, not the least of these involved the historic return of a ship to England to convey the message of victory. When the fog hindered the ship from coming into the harbor, a message was actually spelled out across the side of the boat. For the waiting thousands on the shore, the message read, Wellington defeated. Throughout England, this tragic news just spread like wildfire. Mourning was rampant. People were so discouraged and disappointed. But that sorrow was short-lived. Because you see, that night, the fog lifted. And in the morning, the assembling crowds that were still at the shore read the full message. Wellington defeated the enemy. The message spread hastily throughout England. Never in England's history was a message conveyed with such joy and such happy tears. People were so overjoyed because supposedly Wellington defeated the enemy and was victorious after all. The tables were turned and in the wake of defeat there was victory. There was joy and there was celebration. You see, friends, on Easter Sunday morning, Jesus turned the tables on Satan. His death on Friday appeared to read to the disciples who were on the shore of their grief. Jesus defeated. Their minds were foggy with disappointment and discouragement. They could not see the whole picture of what God had been doing. But Jesus defeated the enemy. And on that first Easter Sunday, and every day from that point on, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. And just as it happened for Arthur Wellesley, the mist of their confused minds lifted it cleared and the full message of victory appeared. Jesus defeated.
the enemy. Jesus defeated the enemy. Friends, Easter spells victory. Victory in the wake of supposed defeat. Victory because Jesus turned the tables on Satan. And today and every day and for the rest of our lives on this earth and eternity, we will celebrate the most incredible victory of all. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And he lives today. Would you stand with me, please?